0: Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. Dan Forrest was elected Lieutenant Governor in 2012 and re-elected in 2016. Since his election, education has been one of his top priorities, particularly in the area of digital learning and school choice. We're going to talk about those issues and many more with him as he joins us for the full show today. Before we tackle our main topics in our discussion with Lieutenant Governor Forrest, we're going to go over our headlines. Basically, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. It's been two weeks since a gunman walked into Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, killing 17 people, including 14 students. Unlike previous mass shootings that faded from the headlines after only a few days, this one has stayed in the headlines and has, and has really sparked a national debate and a debate here in North Carolina about how best to protect students. On the federal level, President Trump has focused on arming teachers and hardening security at schools. In Florida, Governor Rick Scott has expressed support for raising the age to purchase long rifles like the AR-15 assault rifle used by the shooter to 21. The shooter actually purchased that weapon legally when he was 18. Scott's also proposed extensive new security at schools, including steel doors, metal detectors, bulletproof glass, and additional armed security guards. Now here in North Carolina, House Speaker Tim Moore has created a special select committee to focus on school safety and to develop recommendations to improve it. He says that may include arming teachers, enhancing school security, and a greater focus on mental health. This week, State School Superintendent Mark Johnson came out against the idea of arming teachers. Last week, the head of the Education Commission of the States was in North Carolina, and he said one of the areas that North Carolina may be nation-leading in is in the number of commissions and task forces we have working on education right now. That was certainly on display last week. The Governor's Commission on Access to a Sound Basic Education met and focused on school funding and school funding inequities across North Carolina. A new joint legislative committee looking at whether to break up large school districts opened its first meeting, They're focusing on districts like Wake County and Mecklenburg County. Now, Chairman Bill Brawley said he expects no action for some time. And finally, the Joint Legislative Task Force on Education Finance Reform met and focused primarily on charter school funding and her presentations about how charters are funded in North Carolina, with charter school proponents asking for increased funding from the state for charters. Now remember, you can always visit our website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you can read more about these headlines as well as other topics we covered this week. All right, as I said at the top of the show, Dan Forrest was elected Lieutenant Governor in 2012. Um, He is an architect by training, was actually the uh, senior partner at the state's uh, largest architectural firm, uh, Charlotte Native, and he is joining us today on Education Matters. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here with you. Now,
0: I opened up our headlines uh, talking about, obviously, the horrible uh, tragedy in Florida with the, with the shooting. Uh, It's become a major policy discussion nationally and here in North Carolina. Do you support the idea of arming teachers uh, as a response to the shooting?
1: Uh, I don't think that's a a, a blanket yes or no. I think that's a maybe. It's, you know, this is one of a series of questions that needs to be asked. There's obviously teachers that have been in law enforcement in the past or teachers that have been in the military the, uh, you know, statement of blanketly, uh, you know, uh, arming them. So no. that's a
0: maybe, so that's a maybe if it's, no, armed, if it's yeah, part of it. yeah. Okay. I think
1: it could be a big maybe. They I think they would need to go through law enforcement training. I think they need to go through active shooter training if somebody even proposed that as an idea. But I think there's a lot of issues on the table and I think that you have to back away from the emotional side of the equation a little bit. I think w- what you've seen over the last couple of weeks is a lot of facts have come out about that shooting in Florida and you have to look at them one at a time and say, what caused the. Initial action, oftentimes, and then you have to work through how do we secure our schools. Some things can be done immediately, and some things are going to take more time to do.
0: And you, and you actually may have a, a role to play in these policies. I think our viewers may not know this, but the lieutenant governor actually has a seat on the state board of education. So you actually are involved the kinds of policies that may be recommended. Some things may be legislative action, but it may come to you.
1: Yeah, and you know the State Board does this all the time. We make recommendations to the General Assembly. That's one of the one of the purposes of the State Board. So I think this will be uh, front and center. Uh, actually, uh, we have school board uh, meetings over the next couple of days. I imagine this topic will be front and center at this meeting.
0: All right, well, let's shift gears. Um, I mentioned digital learning technology at the beginning. Um, I think I the first time you and I ever talked, we, we, we talked about the idea of sort of how do we expand, um, you know, sort of you know, the conversion to digital learning, um, you know, seeing more push into computer science is another part of it, coding, there's a lot of pieces to this. So how are we doing as a state?
1: Uh, I think we have an A plus as a state. We're we're further along than any other state in the country. Uh, A few years ago when we created the digital learning plan and I chair the digital learning committee at the State Board of Education, so I spent a lot of time here. uh, Worked closely with the Friday Institute on this. We put together a digital learning plan and we uh, said, they actually came to me and they said, here's the six year plan for, rolling this out. And I said, that's twice as long as it needs to take. How do we do it in three? They said, okay, well, here's the money it's going to take to do it in three. We went back to the general you assembly, know. Maybe it won't uh, take that long. <laughs> we went back to the general assembly and we asked for it. We have 20 million going into uh, funding our broadband in classrooms. We asked for another 12, then we went to the federal government to the FCC leveraged $65 million, so now we have $100 million a year going into putting broadband in every classroom in the state. We'll be the first state in the country to actually accomplish that this year. That's a massive accomplishment. And then we are also in the process of rolling out the other parts of the plan as well, which have to do with content and curriculum and teacher training and devices, and they all kind of go together. So uh, we are well, in, well ahead of the rest of the country in this effort, but we still have a long way to go right. until we start to see the real outcomes we're looking for in the classroom. Right, and that's, and you you touched
0: on sort of the the steps, and I think that's important. I mean, it is something we should be proud of, and I think it's been a, it's been been a bipartisan priority, and, um, but we first had to deal with just connectivity, right, just making sure all the schools have it, which we are-
1: And that's been going on for decades. Pretty much there, and then
0: you've got to get get the access in the school, you know, Wi-Fi, but now you're really sort of begin moving into- Because I think the promise that when people think about digital learning is, well, we're not going to get rid of textbooks, we're going to have everything on, we're we're not, we're not ready for that yet, but it really is about how do you use the technology as part of teaching, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been talking about for years, competency-based or mastery-based education, where we're allowing students to progress at the pace that they can progress, either fast or slow, right? You, the slower ones, you give them more help in the classroom, the ones that progress more quickly, you allow them to do that. And we're at a place where we can actually do that. We have Canvas in a classroom, you were in a classroom recently, you told me that using Canvas to help with competency-based education, which is really transforming the way students learn. And it's going to transform the outcomes to kind of eliminate a lot of this over-testing that we seem to do to collect data for no purpose, right? So we want to know that we know that we know that our students know this material. And these tools are allowing teachers to do that.
0: And you you mentioned over-testing and testing. You talk to teachers. I talk to teachers. My sister's a teacher. (laughs) Pretty
1: common refrain, right? It's a very common refrain. You know, we do these end-of-grade tests for students, right? Uh, the, all this work that leads up to it with teachers teaching to the test rather than teaching the content they want to teach because they have to. They're mandated to do it. You get the end-of-the-grade test, and then it goes in a file somewhere. It's data in a file. It's not really used anymore. So uh, once that student progresses on to the next grade, the teachers aren't reviewing that and looking at what those ste- students need to advance. So competency-based model allows them to advance through the grades with, seamlessly. Without that that's kind of stop, break, and a test at the end of the grade. Now, um, you've been an
0: outspoken advocate for school choice. And I and I will you know and I'm using that in sort of the broadest sense of the term everything from charter schools, virtual charters, the opportunity scholarships, vouchers, um, personal education savings accounts. Now and I I don't want to talk out of school because you but you've discussed this publicly. You have four children, um, and and they were all homeschooled. So God bless your wife because I could not do that. Um, But but I guess sort of why do you so why the focus um, for you on sort of alternatives uh, to public education?
1: Well, I think there's a demand out there for it right now. I think we have uh, seen uh, the demand growing through the years where parents are saying this form of education is not working for my student. Uh, we uh, we demand choice in all forms of the American life it's an American thing right we want choice for everything we have you know 30 different choices for coffee when we're you know driving around the city um, but for some reason there are you know, a lot of folks that say choice isn't good for education well if it's good for everything else I think it's good for that too I think parents should have the ability to choose the best educational option for their kids and I, I'd say I'm I'm kind of agnostic about which one that is you know uh, traditional publics going to continue to be the largest it's by far the largest uh, you know, charter public schools, home schools, private schools, whatever it happens to be that fits the need of that student. We don't have a one size fits all approach to education because every student is absolutely unique. Within my four kids that we homeschooled, everyone was taught very differently. The content and curriculum they used was very different for each student for their specific needs. And so I think that school choice allows that to happen for a parent who may feel like their students' needs are not being met in one single style or form of education. Yeah.
0: Uh, organizations like the public school forum that I lead that that does the show, one of the areas that we point out is what we see is a a lack of accountability and transparency in a lot of these choice options. And I mean, and the most charitable way in some ways to say it's a little bit of a a double standard that the public schools are scrutinized out the wazoo, if you will, but the private schools that receive vouchers and things don't get What's your um, your answer to that? Do you think that's a, uh, there's a there's a mismatch?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I don't think that's fair. I think that you know, with the charter school, for instance, public charter school, if they're failing, we close them down. Traditional public schools, we have traditional public schools have been failing for decades. We don't shut them down. We don't change their model. We don't do anything drastic. Right. Um, the same thing for you know, a, a private school. When a parent is sending their student with their money or with their taxpayer dollars to a private school, that is the accountability. The parents have made that choice to be accountable. So uh, there's massive accountability in charter schools. There's definitely accountability in private schools or you wouldn't send your child there. And so I think that, uh, you know, it it goes both ways, yes, but I think we actually need more stringent accountability at the traditional public school level where we say, if a school is really failing, what kind of resources are we going to uh, throw at that school, whether that's dollars or changing the model entirely?
0: Well, that's a, gr- that's, that's a great place because I, I want to I explore that with you when we come back. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. In 1995, 37% of computer scientists in the U.S. were women. What is that percentage today? Back to Education Matters, did you correctly answer C, the percentage of computer scientists who are women has dropped from 37% in 1995 to just 24% today. And according to an organization called Girls Who Code, which does a lot of great work around uh, promoting uh, computer science, this figure will drop even further to 22% unless we do more to encourage students to take computer science classes. So we're going to continue our conversation with Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest now, and I know that's something you've, uh, you've been interested in too.
1: Yeah, we've uh, spent a lot of time working on this as well. Uh, It was actually a surprise to me to discover there was a very small handful of teachers around the state that were actually prepared to teach computer science. I'd go into schools like you do, and I'd ask these uh, computer science teachers. I'd say, well, you teach computer science. What do you teach? And uh, oftentimes the answer would be things like, uh, well, we teach Microsoft Word and PowerPoint and keyboarding. And that's not computer science and no. we know this uh, this kind of world of computer science is blowing up there are about a billion and a half dollars worth of jobs on the market right now in north carolina for computer science and we're not even training our students in junior high and high school for computer science so we're proposing legislation right now that would uh, ramp that up really quickly within a few years to be able to have computer science in every classroom so one part of the problem that you're facing with the statistic that you just showed is there are students that don't even know anything about coding. They right. may get to college before they even discover right. what that's about. So now we're seeing in some of our classes, we're in elementary school. We're starting to teach basic uh, rudimentary uh, coding to students. The, Apple's got a really good program and yep. Code.org does. And So we're working with folks like Code.org and Apple and the Friday Institute to put this together so we can introduce it to all classrooms. Great.
0: Well, I want to get back to our, where we ended up at the, before the commercial break. Um, I'm going to push back a little bit to say that public schools aren't being held accountable. I mean, yeah. we uh, the the A to F school grading system, and it's funny you mentioned that that you said we should identify the schools that aren't doing well, yeah. and uh, drive additional resources. Yeah. That's been my beef with this with the A to F school grading from the beginning is that it it, it basically slaps an F on schools that I think shows more about the the, the poverty level than it does the it quality does. of school but then doesn't drive anything to
1: help yeah. them. I, mean, I agree. You think no, I completely agree. I think that, uh, you know, you, you have to, if, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and just keep slapping an F on there every year, and, and you're right, you can follow the F schools. They're in primarily uh, high poverty uh, black or Hispanic districts across the state. I mean, right. you can, you can, it's you can easy. You save some money. It's on the easy to pay. Depend- you say, here's where, here's probably where they're going to be. Right. And so that, I think that's shameful. We've done this for decades and this is not a new thing just right. because you put A's to F's on them. Right. You could not put anything on them and the problem is still there. I think we need to have a rapid response team on these things. Once a, once a school is failing these students year after year, we need to do something different, right? We need to turn the model upside down, turn it on its head. I think we need to innovate. We need to invent. We need to create new models for education. Uh, there is, I don't think there's anything you can do wrong, right, at this right. point in time. It's already being done. So we have historical, uh, generational uh, failing of students in, the, in these areas, and we need to do something rapid. Well, let me, uh,
0: speaking of sort of innovation in public schools. now. I think most observers who watch you and, and hear you speak would say that you're, you're a consistent conservative on, on your positions. I mean, but so the issue of local control of schools. I mean, our public schools, uh, the General Assembly and the law set. They tell them when they can start, when they have to stop, how many hours they have to be in the class, what curriculum they can use. Now they're telling them how many, how many students per grade have to be in certain things. That doesn't seem to me to be a conservative way to look at how public schools should be managed.
1: And I don't really align with any of those things. So I've been very public on all these things before. I think we need to, uh, again, allow our, look. We, we need to hold our superintendents and our principals accountable. And then we need to allow them to to have more leverage and freedom, right? Whether that's the calendar flexibility or how big your class size is. So you class don't think size- we should,
0: do you think calendar we should have counter flexibility, yeah. class size mandate, yeah. not, I think, not no. a supporter
1: of that. I'm not a supporter of class size mandate. I've been public about that too. I think that that depends on the individual class. It depends on the teacher. It depends on the school. It depends on the demographics of the students. There's a lot of things it depends right. on, right? So it's not a one size fits all. And we tend to have this broad brush, one size fits all approach to education across the board. And I think that needs to go out the window. And I we were having this conversation before about teacher pay. I think we should block grant money down to our local districts, give the principal a Bucket of money to be able to decide how he wants to fund his teachers in the classroom, and if he or she wants to give a teacher a hundred thousand dollars to teach a, uh, a, in a in a classroom, great. I don't have any problem with that at all. Allow that flexibility for the best teachers out there to be able to make the most and to be able to teach and train those other teachers around them, and, and then hold that principal accountable.
0: Now, but the but I mentioned about the the, the accountability. I said public schools aren't uh, are being really held accountable. There are definitely some gaps in in how we. Sort of oversee things like the opportunity scholarships. I mean, we've we've reported on this show, the the, the largest voucher school in the state, Trinity Christian, of right. at least the highest percentage of of dollars, two million dollars, and they you know, they've got a teacher who is embezzling money. He's serving time in jail. You've got more than 65 percent of their whole budget comes from the state, yet very minimal stuff. Like basically, here's a sort of a basic financial reporting. There's no testing. There's no accountability. Do you think that's well, it I think we have
1: a, I think we have a legal system that should tie that up. I think audit, you know, the auditing process, you know, a lot of people will say, well, charter schools aren't accountable. They go through far more audits yeah, well, than they're, 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 anybody they're, else a, out there. There's a big right?
0: difference in public charters yeah. accountability and the, sure. the voucher program. Yeah.
1: But you can take, you can make the same argument across the board, right? We could, uh, we could say, well, you have a teacher in a traditional public school somewhere that's done something wrong. And then you paint a broad brush across all the sure. entire program. This is one teacher in one school that's done this, right? That should be dealt with. And that right. school should be dealt with, and there should be a consequence to that. Um, Obviously, these are dollars that are the people's dollars that are going there, but um, that's one instance, right? So, you know, we, uh, you see this in the homeschool movement, you know, some horrible thing happens with some crazy homeschool family somewhere, and this broad brush gets painted across homeschooling, and that's not fair. So, we uh, do that
0: on a lot of issues, though, don't we? we? On, On the right and the left. Yeah, that's
1: exactly right. We do, and it's just not fair. I think we need to spend more time getting to the heart of all these issues, and if there is a problem, I mean, part of the purpose of government is that oversight, right? We want to make sure that things are fair and equitable and make sure that we are uh, protecting and using taxpayers' the money the best way we can. But when it comes to opportunity scholarships, you know you you have the poorest of the poor students in your state that are able to take these dollars and perhaps get out of a failing school and go to one that their parents deems is better for their needs right now. Why would we not do that? I, I think it's sad to say, sorry, parent, you have no choice, but right. to send your kids to a failing school, we're not gonna give you this opportunity. So I think more opportunities are better. And um, I think more you know, flexibility and innovation in this system of how we educate now. If we were, if we were uh, gonna completely start an education system now, we didn't have one, it wouldn't look like what we have right now. So I mean, the, the real question to ask, I think people across the board is what are we fearful of? We have a system of education that works well in some places. Let's repeat those things. Let's build a model and do those things more. And then we have places that aren't doing well for students. Let's scrap that system and figure out a better way to do it. In this day and age, we can do that.
0: Gotcha. One thing I think about uh, when I think about the public school system in general, and I've I've, I've mentioned on the show, I think that the public school system itself is sort of an important part of the community fabric in society. You talk about uh, what makes America great, what makes North Carolina great. I've heard you talk about founding fathers. Are you concerned that if we start moving down this path of, you know, all sort of you know, homeschooling, private school, private options, that we're going to lose something that is really one of the few places, in my opinion, that people still come together. You know, uh, you know, black, white, brown, rich, poor, and that we're going to kind of balkanize things. Is, is that you? You think there's any fear in that?
1: I think, well, I mean, I think some of that's already, a lot of that's already happened in America. I mean, regardless of of the schools, the way we live life has changed completely over when things were just a community, right? I mean, people drive home now from work and they drive into their garage and they close their garage and they stay in their house all day. People don't even know their neighbors. You, You talk about a Parkland school shooting issue. Here's a young man that was extremely troubled, you know, 30 years ago when I was a kid growing up, the kids all up and down the street, there were parents that would notice this kid was having problems and that would be addressed maybe. Even by the neighborhood, not necessarily the whole community, right? right. And so uh, those a lot of those things are out the window. So yeah, I mean certainly I'm a, I'm a big fan of community-based things. I love small town America. You know, I love the the energy and the vibrancy that exists in small towns that doesn't even exist in what we consider our most vibrant cities. So, right. uh, yeah. So that, there's obviously a concern there. I, I think that um, you know making sure that we are providing the best uh, form of education for every student in this day and age. Just looks different than it used to, right? You know, I mean, it's not this. It's not the same as it was. It's not. It's not just about the knowledge transfer like it used to be. We have to go to school to get knowledge. You have all the knowledge in the world right in right in your uh, smartphone right. Right now. So it's a different model.
0: Right. I understand. All right. Last question. Would you like to make some news today right here on education matters and go ahead and announce your candidacy for governor in 2020? Been
1: no I would not Chief, <laughs> but, uh, but thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that.
0: <laughs> well look I, I really appreciate. It. I enjoyed our conversation today. Um, you know look forward to uh, you know seeing um, um, you know where we can work together on some yeah. things like on, on advancing digital learning and, and those things and uh, really appreciate your time. Thank but, you for having so much. me on. Yes, look forward sir. to the next time. All right thanks. For my final word today, I first want to thank Lieutenant Governor Forrest for coming on the show. Now he knows that the group I lead, the public school forum, isn't likely to agree with him on on some of his positions, like on private school vouchers. But I think it's also good that we look at areas where we do agree and where things we can work together, like on advancing digital learning, like expanding um, access to computer science programs, particularly for areas. For like young women and students of color who are underrepresented so we should always i think try to find places where we don't retreat to our usual sides and find places that we can work together well one subject that we do seem to be returning to our usual sort of tribes and sides is in the response to the horrific shooting in parkland florida now i'll be honest i stopped believing that anything would actually really change when it came to access to guns or laws in our state in our country after sandy hook I figured that when 20 children are slaughtered in their elementary school and nothing happens, then nothing ever will happen. I may be proven wrong this time around. And if if I am, it's because of the engagement of students. Those brave students from the high school in Parkland, Florida, have been speaking out and speaking up and calling for change. And it's not just them, it's students all across the country So if there's gonna be change, it's gonna be driven by them. Now, we're gonna do two special shows on Education Matters over the next two weeks, focusing in on how best to protect our children. You're gonna wanna tune in and engage in this important conversation. So thanks again for watching Education Matters this week, and we'll see you next week.